This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop shank. off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome Champions Tour player Tom Gillis to the Sub-70 Podcast Pro. Looking forward to this. This should definitely be an entertaining uh, episode to do, to say the least. So thanks for your time today. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, let's talk about your 2022 season. I looked yesterday, 62nd on the money list. I'm half confused on the Champions Tour anymore of who's exempt, who what's in, what's out, who qualifies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, where does that leave you for next year? And, uh, you know, what's the 2023 plan based on your finish from this season? Yeah, the categories, that's pretty hard for the general public to figure out because some guys, uh, they're exempt off the career money. You know, like myself, I'm not. So I would need to be probably 40, 41 on the money list or better to not go to the back to the tour school. So I'll have to do that in a month's time and uh, out in Scottsdale, where I think 78 of us will play for five cards. So I didn't play very well all year. I kind of, it's just, just, I never really got any mojo going. I played a little bit better at the end of the year, but it's just one of those years. So uh, now we got to go earn our spot back. But uh, yeah, the categories are really tough out there. It's just hard to figure. Even I don't know them all yet. You know, I've been out there four years. It's tough, right? It's the hardest, I'd call it the hardest major tour to, to get out there if you're not exempt, right? I mean, five spots with as good as that, oh, yeah. that field looks like for Q School, like a you know former PGA Tour event, the level of competition's that good. Um, is, is the Q School way they're doing this the right, I mean, would you rather just see guys Monday in? You know, like it seems like, and I know it's designed this way, but sometimes the best play isn't out there. It, like, you know, how do we, how would you say they should make it? We'll get into a little deeper. How should they even make it better just from a Q school setup, in your opinion? Well, I, I promote, you know, and it's been talked about before, not just me, but I brought it up again last year that you should just get rid of the school. And, Cause we're not making any money on the event. That's the first thing I asked our brass. I said, are we making any money? Not really. I'm like, well, then what are we doing here in December? We got a rural staff here. You know, everybody's here. Uh, why don't we just give those five to the Monday? Now you got nine and they didn't want any part of that. Uh, you know, they thought that nine players, uh, not in the field, it gives a tournament a little bit of a, they're at a disadvantage for marketing, which I, I didn't like agree with, but, they're actually even going to, there won't even be five after this will be the last year. There's probably five. There'll be four. I think it's just going to get tighter and tighter and tighter because the career money, the category for career money is going up, just keeps going up and up and up. Right. So there's guys that aren't getting in off career money. And so now they're going to start pulling from the school and they're going to probably start pulling from the Monday. And then before you know it, it's going to be almost impossible and you'll have no Steve Alper stories. Is it so? If your grand like if you're grandfathered in on the career money and you're 57 years old, does that continue or does it? That does doesn't it stop. Yeah, it no, doesn't stop. No, that's 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 another thing. Uh, that Paul Browders brought that up the other day at lunch. He's like, you know, that should stop at like whatever 57 or 60. 
you know, you shouldn't keep getting in there all the way. I mean, if you're not competitive, you should, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't still be out there. I, I don't think and that tour is not always about assembling the best players over 50. It's, it's a little bit like an exhibition in a way like that. Uh, because there's some guys that, uh, I ain't going to mention any names, but there's guys that are playing every year that aren't, aren't, aren't really competitive. Right. right. Uh, you can go down that money list and look and say, how'd this guy get in? You know, and geez, you know, he's never finished in the top 36, you know, or, or even top 40 or even top 45. So that, that's, that's been the hardest thing for me when I first got out there was to understand that they're not going to, this isn't about assembling the best 50, the best players over 50. So then then the categories are so in depth, I, I couldn't even go into all the detail. on. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's uh, but it's going to get tougher. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's already tough. Um, yeah. So, is there any other things like you know besides the Q school? Just for like the, because I always think of like the champions tour. Like, like when I was a kid, like the, the the heyday was, you know, Trevino versus you know Nicholas was still pretty damn exciting when they were early fifties, and you had like all the guys out there playing. Um, yeah, I, I'm afraid in the in the future, you know, potentially. The, I mean, a couple ideas I thought about like, does it have to go down to 45 years old? Because as hard as these yeah. You know, young guys are swinging. Like, is Jason Day going to be? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, is he going to be playing no, at yeah, 50? I've, yeah, I've I've often thought that too. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about that fact. That pretty sure last year it came that came up. I think uh, Paul Goitas was maybe our player director, and he was fighting against that. But the the guys on the on the, the the guys on the policy board on the uh, PJ Tour wanted it to go down. So there, there's definitely been some debate about that. Uh, I always wonder how it's going to sustain itself just from what you just said, just because of the uh, the strain. These guys swing so much harder. I mean, right. there's, there's going to be a lot of guys that ain't going to be around at 50 years old. That's that's why a lot of us are still out there is because we didn't really grow up in an era where we were trying to speed drink. Correct. I mean, like, you know, there's it, we're, it's getting there, but we, we you know, I would have been there. I'm still going at 54. If I would have been working on what these guys work on at young ages, there's no way. I mean, we all have plenty of aches and pains, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wonder, you know, I wonder that that's, 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 I would say it's a, that tour is fluid as far as it could change any time, you know? So I don't, I, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, that's just the way they run it. You know, I mean, we don't really have a lot of needle movers, unfortunately. Uh, when Watson played, we did Freddie, when Freddie plays that moves the needle, but you know, I hate to say it, but guys like Bernard and, and that, he don't really move the needle a whole lot, you know, um, uh, nothing personal. It's just, yeah, we need, we, you know, if, if Tiger comes out and chooses to play, that would be huge, which I think he will. I don't think he'll play a full schedule, but I think he would definitely come out because well, he just likes cart. Oh well, yeah. it's a golf cart. Right? Yeah. I mean, he already it work. said that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got guys on that tour that don't think we should be riding. I mean, I, I can't believe there's there's a couple of players out there that are so against these carts. And I'm like, Todrick Harrington played the last half of the year. He's been banged up, but he's been able to play because he can ride. Right. And I keep telling him, I go, okay, so would you rather not have Todrick Harrington, three-time major champion in your field because you guys are stuck on these golf carts? I mean, give me a break. 
Yeah, let him have the cart, right? People, he kind of moves the needle. Who like, cares? Yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, like you said, there's no cut. It's a three rounder anyway, right? Does it? I mean, let right. him have a drink in his yeah. hand if he wants to. Does it really doesn't matter? Oh uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. He, this is yeah. I mean, if you're going to run it this way, like we just said, where it's basically an exhibition, well then, you guys got to decide one way or the other here, you know. But, but yeah, I, I don't understand that cart argument is kind of funny. <laughs> I was going to ask you about Langer a little. I mean, I was just one again. Like, I'm assuming your friends with him have played with him. Like, what what is it? I mean, it's an incredible. I mean, I know it's it's the Champions Tour, but from a golf standpoint, yeah. it's utterly amazing, right? To do it at his oh, age, like probably and, not. A, yeah, yeah, there's not going to be another. It's one. phenomenal. No, no, probably not. I mean, it, I mean, he. They don't even really touch on that. As, I mean, as much as they should. It's a heck of a feat at 65 years old. Yeah. I mean, it it shocks everybody out there. I guarantee you, Stephen Ainge the other day was watching him shoot 900 going, this is unbelievable. You know, <laughs> he just eats like father time. <laughs> and uh, he, he works incredibly hard at it. He's fully committed. Um, I do know him well. Sometimes we fly home together. There's a, a, a group of us that live down in the southeast Florida area. And if we've been on the road a, a little bit, for a few weeks in a row, we all try to get on, you know, some of us had teenagers still, you know, but uh, I know him pretty well. He's a good man, but he's fully committed. I mean, he works the tail off. I mean, there, there's no way you couldn't do it at that age. If you didn't, if you didn't dot every I and cross every T, you know, is there one thing that stands out? Like when you play with them, is it, or is it just all really good? Or is there one thing when you play with them? Yeah, I think the difference between, I've tried to explain this to, people about the difference about champions tour and even me and Padre were talking about this in Jacksonville. It's only 54 holes. So everything happens really, really fast. Like you pretty much, you got to shoot between three to five under the first day to really even have a chance. Most likely on the majority of the time, because you got to get close to 15 under that's the magic number every week. We're right around in that area. Pretty much give or take the, you know, the senior open and stuff like that. But 15, if you could shoot five a day, you'd be, you'd do really, really well. But on that, if you think of five, five under a day, when you only got 54 holes, if you're making two bogeys around, I mean, you got to average seven birdies a day. Yeah, that's that's hard to do anywhere. Yeah. So it happens really fast. What Bernard, what impressed me about him is he's really not that long. But he just gets the ball in the fairway. He gets the ball in the green. And he waits till he gets hot with a putter. He doesn't really beat himself. Whereas, like VJ, who's still speed training and still hitting it a country mile, but if he hits two of those offline and makes two bogeys a day, it's going to be hard to get to 15 under. You know what I mean? So it, uh, he, he's just really good at managing his game. Not, you know, very little bogeys. You know what I mean? And uh, like Patrick said, he goes, you start making bogeys out here in a 54-hole tournament, you got to get to 15 under. It's going to be hard to get there. So there is a different mindset than, like, when you were playing in a PGA Tour event. You could get away with a one under, two under on a Thursday. You're like, okay, you know, I still yeah. got a no, – yeah. like, you don't have to – you didn't put the pedal down quite as hard. You kind of let it come to you a little bit more. Is that a fair statement of regular yeah, tour event? Yeah, oh, no, that's completely true. It's just – it's a longer marathon, you know, so you have more time to recover from even mistakes. You know, I mean, uh, it seems like the mistakes and the bogeys on the Champions Tour, when you make them, they last. You know, I mean, they leave a bruise because you just don't have that much time to make it up. And there's to win, to have a chance at winning, you, you kind of, you really have, especially in the last two, three years, these guys 
we've, the tour's gotten way more competitive than it did when I first came out four years ago. I thought, I'm like, this is going to be so easy. Well, then more guys started coming, Furyk and Goose and KG Choi, and they just keep coming. You're like, hey, uh, there's only 78 guys playing every week. Now we've got five or six more guys in here. It's, it gets a little harder, you know. So, But it's a fun tour to play, and, and you know what I really like about it most is that everybody's most people, some of the guys that were paying the asses in, in the years of the PGA Tour really aren't so bad anymore. I think everybody's kind of feel lucky that they're still really getting paid and they're they're allowed to compete and do it and have fun and do and still live their passion. You know, most ninety five percent of us are really thankful for that. Well, yeah, and you guys make sure that the pro-ams are fun for the guys, right? You make sure if somebody needs a request to go out to dinner or be at a cocktail party, I'm guessing they'll do it, right? You yeah. guys know oh, that part of this yeah. is the making sure those corporate clients are taken care of and the atmosphere is fun. The pro-ams are a world different than when I played them on the PJ Tour as far as um, they're just so much more light-hearted and relaxed. Most of the time we got music going. Uh, the amateurs are in carts versus the tour. A lot of times they're walking. So, you you know, you get your 12 holes in August somewhere at Greensboro and, you know, you look over at your partners. We've got six holes to go. They can barely even finish. It's right. 95 degrees, you know, where as opposed to out here, they're in a cart, music going, cigars going, and they're drinking beer. Yeah. And and, and then plus, we're all kind of at the back end. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's pretty much almost over for a lot of us. So you're probably way more receptive to, talk and tell stories and as opposed as opposed to the tour you're within 24 hours away from playing for well millions now and it could change your career you know what i mean where most likely we're going to play for 300 grand in the next few days and it's not going to really change anybody's life on the tour for the most part you know don't get me wrong 300 grand nice okay, right you know a lot of these guys have already already created a heck of a lifestyle uh, so the guards down, they're just way more approachable than, than you'd even anybody on the PJ tour. Cause they're just, I know there's guys that are really good in the programs out there as well too, but some you're just, I just remember being way more focused on the eve uh, of the tournament right. I, when I played the tour. Is there any other format change or anything that you could see from just being out there for a few years that you think would make it better for you guys, better for the fans, better for television, any other ideas ever pop into your head of like, well, this would be kind of a cool concept to have more out here or something a little different. It's not something I've thought much about. I mean, guys like Paul Goida and uh, Lee Jansen, these guys are kind of creative thinkers. I'm sure they've got ideas and stuff, but uh, we, there's not a lot of, we don't have, you know, I mean, when I played the tourists, there was always a lot of complaining. There was always a lot of uh, frustration with the tour it seemed like you know they could do this or why can't we do this or why do we got to do this I, there's not a lot of that on the champions tour but you know what i mean i don't don't hear a lot of uh, debating on what yeah. we should do here and there you know what i mean it's it's not as it's not as at the front like it was on a pg tour there was always some, and i sat on the policy board a couple times on pg tour it seems like the issues when we when we sat and met were way bigger issues than what we had on the champions tour you know, which makes sense. I think right? Champions yeah. Tour, we got, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's a, it's a pretty good second I, kick. The first year I sat on the policy board, the first meeting, I was sitting right next to Charlie Hoffman, and we sat down and we had a whole booklet of stuff. And the first thing 
the first meeting, and the first thing on the agenda was the tour school, talking about getting rid of tour, the the six day run for tour cards. And I looked at Charlie. I go, Wow, this is going to be an interesting year to sit on the policy board. Holy geez, you know, yeah. they're going to trade this, you know, and they did. And I was against it. I didn't like it at all. But yeah, so. Yeah, there were a little bit bigger issues. Well, there's a no, uh, another podcast just in itself, right? I mean, it, it, I'm kind of I wish oh, yeah. they had a few cards that still got you there, right? Like the I know why they did it, but the Rich Beam stories of the world were great, right? Where he gets through oh, all, all the stages and then that. wins on tour, right? Like that's the that's yeah. the that's the I mean, that's a story. I mean, that's the dream. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, like, don't get me wrong, he's still playing Corn Fairy Tour, but I don't know, give no, I know top three saying, or something maybe. Not- yeah, they're not the stories that you had. I mean, most stories, you know how many people used to turn in, golf fans would turn into that that marathon in December to right. watch that, to watch people implode, to watch them melt down, to see it. You know, it was pretty good TV. You it know? was great TV, right? Because, I yeah. mean, it was like, you want to talk about pressure. I would argue there's more pressure oh. on that than a major championship, right? Like, you're playing for I your never, life. Yeah. Yeah, I've never, that was the most I ever felt. I remember it took me. 12 years to get out there. And I remember driving to the course for the sixth round in, in 2002. It was in the fall. And I remember thinking, man, it's come down. It's basically my whole career has come down to one day. This is weird. Yeah. It was just very almost serene. Like it made the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Like, geez, this is, this is it. This is, we're at the summit here. We got to, we got to do something. How did you react but, uh, to that I, kind of pressure and thinking? Like, what 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 happened on the first well, tee? And is it or is it sort of like, uh, okay, I'm a professional, I, was, I can well, do this? Yeah, I just tried to. Yeah, I mean, when you're that that nervous, you're trying to just get your breathing right and just stay as calm as you can. And I remember I shot, I think, two over on the front, and I was teetering. And the, my caddy made a great statement. He goes, "Let's try to make it as boring as we can on the back nine. Let's get nine looks." And that that was enough just to settled me down and then we shot four on the back and made it by a couple but but that was at pga the stadium you know and there was guys coming up the 17 island green i remember vance Beasy shanked one over to the right didn't even go in the water so i mean guys it's, yeah, I, oh, it's, yeah one year I, I was one year i played there i made it twice there and uh one year I played there with Joel Edwards on the 108th hole, and he had a quick hook right in the water, and he was right on the number. And I saw that, and then Kyle Thompson was in the group too, and I think he might have bogeyed the last and missed by one. I parted and made it right on the nose, and I was just like, it just you felt like you just got lucky almost, you know, like, geez, there's just, plus you had a place like that because there's, there's disaster on everywhere out there. Which, to your point, may, I mean, I mean, you guys were in the middle of it, but from a fan standpoint, it was one of the most interesting oh. tournaments to watch. Like as a golf fan, I loved watching, you know, at least like the last two or three rounds of old school, old school tour school, where it was just, yeah, holy shit, someone's yeah. going to shoot sixty three or someone's going to shoot seventy six, and it can turn. And it's a very interesting. If you loved golf, I don't know if there was a better event just to kind of watch if you were really, really into golf that last couple, at least the last two rounds of how people handle it. We can learn from it. Yeah. I remember uh, the second time I made it out there, it didn't have a lot of, there wasn't a lot of like information on where you stood really. 
And I remember playing the last hole again, and the pins back left. I think I had 178 yards, and I'm like, man, I got. I thought I knew the birdie. I'm like, I got to go right at it, and it looks like it's sitting in the water. I'm like, wow, I'm not, I'm not hitting the middle of the green. So I hit the six iron right at it, just beautiful, and it just flew to green a little bit and went over, just a little bit rough. And I was like, gosh darn, that was a good job. And then I kind of had a, like a, just a fiddly chip, and I kind of nubbed it. And, stubbed it and it was it came up about six seven feet short and i remember i was so mad i was like oh this is how it's gonna end and i like buried my wedge right to the side of my bag i was so upset and then i just walked up and rolled the putt in and walked off like yeah that's great you know whipped cream on shit there gonna miss by one and i get to be that guy and it made it you know, so, so there was no stopping to ask an official moment. of like, hey, I'm I, I need to know where I'm at. Like there was there was no way. Yeah, could... there really wasn't. I don't remember. So I don't even remember because that would have been an old four or five. I'm thinking I don't even really remember having phones out looking. You know what I mean? Like didn't really know. I remember coming off the green the first time and I had a friend I played college golf with. And my wife was there, too. But he come running down. And you did it. I really wasn't even sure I did it. You know, so. Don't really remember if that was just me locked down and trying to stay focused, or I just don't remember a lot of information like there would be now. Like you'd have your you'd have your phone out, you'd have your caddy would have his phone out. Yeah, knowing exactly where you're you at. You got to make decisions, right? You gotta well, make, yeah, you got to. That's just the crazy part to me, down. right? Like, yeah, because you might, if you were in, yeah. you might have hit in seven iron and hooked it in there and fine. If it's oh, yeah, fifteen yeah, feet short, never, so be it. Yeah, I would have never took the flag on. No way. Right. I mean. Just you wouldn't do that. There's water all up the left the whole way. You know, it's like, why would you do that? Well, so, uh, I have some other questions for you. I'm playing the tour. I have an affinity. I always think like the European tour in the 80s and 90s was like a certain lifestyle that was just sort of led out there, which was like, you know, when if you're an American fan back then, the guys, you know, you didn't have TV coverage. You saw the players rarely. Kind of had this like fun atmosphere when the guys kind of came over. So. How did you get out onto the European tour, and what was that four years sort of like? Was it kind of like that? Was it a little bit of a traveling circus with, you know, some of the guys staying at the bar maybe a little later than they should have, but they had a hell of a good time? There was so much camaraderie. It was was so much different than anything I'd ever experienced. I, I, I didn't have a full card anywhere. I was, let's see, it was seven years into my career. I've been playing mini tours all over, and, <clears throat> and so I played good that summer and I think I won on the Hooters tour and I had a little extra money and I thought, you know what, let's increase our odds of getting a card. Let's go to both tour schools, you know, go to the U S one and see, cause I was getting, I was getting tired of playing those mini tours and, and I was seven years into it. It's like, okay, how long are we going to do this? You know? So I, I went over there and, and back then you could go to the first stage and if you missed, you could go again could try the first stage again really how, how so, far were they apart that's so weird uh a couple of weeks if i remember right but right. I, I remember i went over and i i missed the first one it was right during when uh, uh princess die was killed in the car accident and i mean we had a moment of balance in the course i remember that but it, i missed there and then three weeks later i came back to spain and i made it in spain so then I went back home, then I came back over again to the finals in Spain. And, yeah, we we, we stayed, the, me and a guy named Rob Moss and a guy named Steve Mulcahy, a couple guys from Ohio, and uh, we we didn't have any running water in this condo. 
We didn't have any. We were there. I don't know. Steve Steve left. Rob played the whole way. We didn't have any running water. It was weird. So there was no shower. It was cold and rainy over there all week. I think I parred my last three. Or I got it up and down out of a bunker to get one of the last cards. And then I ended up staying over there for five years. You know, it was, uh, let me shut that up. Yeah, it was, uh, but the great thing about that tour is what you were alluding to earlier is like pretty much there was three travel agents that, and you chose which one you wanted to go with. And they took care of the players on the tour. So like I was with a, a company called Pro Travel and a, a lady that owned her name was Kathy Longhurst. Well, so she would have one hotel and uh, all her clients would pretty much stay there. So you would just, in the evenings, you'd just meet down in the bar, usually around six o'clock and sit there, have a couple beers and decide where you wanted to go to eat. These guys might've been going to Italian these other guys might have been going to like a Tex Max, and then you just went with whoever. It was so chill, you know what I mean? And uh, and then the weekends, like if we couldn't get back home, yeah, if you missed the cut, you know, we were usually everybody would stay out a little later than they should. Obviously, it was it was it was almost like a fraternity in a way. It took me a while to be accepted. Uh, my last two years, I was the only American, and that was great because I didn't have to like hold anybody's hand to show them around and I'd already made my friends at that point I was friends with Roger Chapman and Gordon Brand and Mark Rowe and Jamie Spence and Mark Ferry so we had our group and uh but I went with those guys because they were all veterans and they'd been playing the tour for 20 plus years so no matter where we went to eat we could be in rural Germany or somewhere in Italy and they could they could look at the menu and they knew what to order yeah, not their first rodeo <laughs> so i'm like i'm going with you guys well, i was a young guy in that group they just took me under the wing but it was it was fun it was really hard travel so i i, I didn't i went through a divorce my second year on that tour and it took a lot out of me and i i never wanted to come home through the whole process so the one year i think i played 30 events all over the world and then the next year i was so wiped out i had like a I would call it like just, it was just exhaustion. It was like a chronic fatigue. I only played half the year and I lost a bunch of weight. And we would, the first 10 weeks of that tour, you know, we'd go to South Africa for two or three. Then we'd go to Australia. And these are one right after each other, one after another. Go to Australia for two weeks. And then we'd be in Malaysia or Singapore for two weeks. And then we'd head over to Dubai and Qatar. So the first 10, 10 weeks or so were, they were the funnest 10 weeks of the tour. But it was exhausting, right? It You're was just, pretty brutal travel. Yeah. yeah, it was. By the end of the year, after not because I didn't live over there. By the end of the year, I was pretty beat. Did you have a second place over there then, like in, in the UK or somewhere where you can kind of base out of? No, I went. I went back and forth, uh, especially uh, after the divorce. I just never really felt that comfortable over there on my own. It, if I had Jenny, I've been there to 18 years, we would have lived over there probably somewhere in the south of Spain and commuted out of there. Yeah. But, uh, no, I went back. I would usually go four on and come home for two and go back for four and come home for two. And by October every year, you were pretty, pretty beat up. It was, it was a beat down, but I stayed just because I was getting better. You know, I, I mean, it was, it, it made you tougher. It was definitely a tough tour. You had to be pretty strong mentally to get through it all. I know a lot of, a lot of my colleagues would have never been able to do it. They're just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of 
a lot of times you're eating by yourself and, uh, you know, maybe your guys aren't there that week or just there. It was, it was a different tour. That's for sure. And then there are other times we had just had black. We had so much fun, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that all those experiences for nothing. Out of all the traveling, is there a place or two that just stood out that like it was either great culture or beautiful or just like looking back, like, God, I love being, when the tour went to X, it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, I really, I I thought Switzerland was just a really cool place, you know, uh, Zurich and Geneva and just the lakes. And it was just, I'm kind of a water guy. I grew up on a freshwater lake in Michigan. So the water has always been appealing to me. And I used to love that. And I really liked Australia too. Uh, They just, the Australians really liked the Americans. You know, like I could always tell in Europe, they're like, they were always kind of leery of the ugly Americans. You know what I mean? Whereas when you go to Australia, they they just loved you. They were just so kind and generous. And, uh, so I would say, yeah, those there was a couple of my favorite stops. When you were in Australia, did you get to go play the greats on the sand belt when you were down there? Nope. I still, I wish I wish I had done it. Have you done that? I have not. I, every person I've, I, I, I got one bucket list trip for me. I just, I just got back from Scotland. I've never been there before, and it was like lived up to it. And I have to imagine that's my next bucket list trip. Every person I've ever talked to who loves golf, who goes over there to play those, it it lives up to it, if not more. The golf is supposed to be that yeah. good. Like, might be yeah, the best in the world. Yeah, I know. I, 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 yeah, I gotta, I gotta do. I've, I've wanted. I've never played Royal Belt, Melbourne, Kingston Heath, and all yeah. that down there. I, I really like to do it. I, I've been down. I played Royal Adelaide and used to play this. I wasn't the Corn Fair. I don't remember what it was called back then. Might have been buy dot com, but we we did go to Adelaide and played Royal Adelaide, and that was a McKinsey course. It was just awesome. Uh, just the golf down there in general is so much better than it is in the U.S. Well, also too, when you're built, you know, the best courses in the world are always on sand, right? And it's golden age architecture, Same. which is still my favorite, right? I don't know what was in the water or whiskey from that era, but my, you know, you go play a great from that era, it's still the best golf in the world. It, it is. Yeah. It's fun. So it's. And you get that a little bit in Scotland like that, you know. A thousand Scotland, percent. It's, that's, that's a fun experience. You know, yeah. Yeah. I played some good ones. You know, the old course I thought absolutely lived up. To, I mean, that's just magical, right? And the new was great. And we got, yeah. we got to do the Muirfield trip, which was, you know, like the member for the day. We go play in the morning and then dress up in the shirt and tie. And, yeah. you know, oh, it's so cool, right? <laughs> and Cardenisti, yeah, yeah. big boy golf course, right? I mean, yeah. you can see how it's major championship worthy. Um, oh, you know, it's yeah. really good. Really, really good. So, yeah, that's uh, that St. Andrews, you know, it's funny. I never really felt this too much, but I remember when the first time I walked off that team at practice round for the downhill links. I mean, it just it overwhelmed me a little bit. I remember calling my dad, like, "Geez, I'm walking off the first tee here," and it just that first year I played the downhill links, I never even went and played Carnoustie. I just kept going around playing St. Andrews. <laughs> oh, I... I'm like, ah, I'll get the Carnoustie when I get there. I go, this is unbelievable. The other thing was is you could play practice round so fast around St. Andrews because the green's right next to every team. Yeah. Yeah, it's a quick walk. It's so, easy. I mean, like so I went out early by my, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went out early by myself. I think I played the first eighteen in about two and a half hours, and I'm like, well, hell, I'm gonna eat and then go back out and play it again. It's isn't <laughs> it fun? Like I would say, just architecturally, yeah. it's just a fun golf course to play. Uh, what was in the rotation yeah. then for the Dunhill when you played it? It would have been old course and Carnoustie. That would have been uh, well, Carnoustie, uh, Kings Barnes. Okay, would have been there for sure. 
and then St. Andrews. Yeah. Okay. So you did yeah. play Carnoustie in the competition, just never in the practice rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first year I didn't because I just was so enthralled with St. Andrews and and uh, I'd already played Carnoustie anyhow. I played the ninety nine. My first major was that ninety nine. British Open where Vanderbilt blew it. So I stood and that place was so nasty. I was like, I don't care if I ever go back. Well, they've taken a bunch of the gorse out. They said they've made it more playable. Yeah. Right. They just said it was too totally tight. Yeah. yeah, it's totally playable now. It's hard coming in. Like it's a good test. But I, so it's funny you talk about that. Like so, I had the caddy show me like where did his drive wind up? First off, that was a miracle. How that goddamn ball wound up in that little plot of land. How the hell he yeah. didn't hit the nine iron left and just hit it, you know, treat it like a par five. I mean, I'm stood in there going, they're going, well, the rough was up more. I go, the rough was up more. And he, he went for the green. Like, I, yeah. I, I mean, with a three stroke lead, I mean, you played the hole. Like, you literally yeah. could have taken that spot, hacked a nine iron down the left side of the fairway and had a wedge in. It, it's it's well, mind boggling. His caddy, yeah, his caddy, Christoph, uh, was a rookie caddy. He was from France. Uh, I knew Jean pretty good. That was my second year over there. So I got to know him pretty well. And it was hard to watch. I had to oh, turn it off. I felt sorry. I, I mean, you feel sorry like, for him. Kind of screw this up. Yeah. Yeah. But at that, I guess looking back, if he would have had a little bit more of a veteran caddy, and after he hit that drive across the bridge and he was over on that little plot of land at that point, that was when Kristoff probably should have just handed him nine iron and said, I'll see you later. Well, yeah, I'm not doing I, anything else. No, there. I had to literally <laughs> ask the cat him, like, oh, it had to be farther. I mean, the layup would have been this easy? And he goes, yeah, I go. Oh, you're, yeah. you're kidding. Yeah, it's it's 40 yards wide over there, right? I mean, you could have literally, oh, yeah. a, a 15 handicap could have made, you got it in from three yeah. from there. He could have hit two two pitching wedges right on the green and yeah. done with it. You know, once you cheated fate off that drive, like, that was when you should have pulled yes. back. And that's probably where Kristoff, if he wasn't a young guy who was first year caddy and out on tour, if that was any of those guys like uh, <clears throat> Billy Foster. Then they would, oh, no way Billy Foster <laughs> lets him hit that five wood or whatever, two <laughs> iron to that green. Zero yeah. chance, right? I mean, you're up by three. The thing that most people don't realize is, and if you haven't been there, is that just left of the green, it's closely mowing and it all pushes right towards out of bounds. So, like, when he grabbed that two-iron, I'm like, where is he going to go with this? You know, I mean, there's nowhere to go, you know. So that that was crazy in itself. But I also remember that tournament, the first round, I was playing with Richard Green from Australia, and I can't remember who our third guy was. And we got to the 18th hole. It was almost dark. They're cleaning the bleachers out. There's nobody there. We teed off at 430, you know. And uh, he had Richard had about eight feet for birdie. And I said, Green, I said, you got to knock this one. It's big. And he was like nine over or whatever. I was about 15. I was way up there. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I've never played around with three pros. You never saw a birdie. I said, you need to make this, buddy. And he holds it, and I'm high-fiving him in the dark. We just were laughing. It was just such a – it was a brutal test. I was I was pretty uh, sour on it, you know. And then I went back and played it in the Dunhill Links. I enjoyed it. Way more, you know. I'm glad I did too because I would have had a sour taste my whole life. About it. Yeah, it's it's interesting how they even you know like how golf course architecture changed a little bit from talking to the caddies. They're like, no, we've it's been opened up more. It was so tight, and mm-hmm. you know, imagine as tight as that was with the gorse and stuff. 
for amateur golfers playing it. it they said it was a shit show. So they had, uh, you know, the heather grass is up, but that's that's fine. It gives you options of how good's the lie. Do you want to play out of it or just chip it up the fairway? Yeah. Right? And, but when the gorse, the gorse is awful. I mean, it's just it's, what I remember about some of it was that it was just so tight that if you drove it in the rough, even just to to get it back in the fairway, it was so thick. You know, I can remember playing holes where I was like left rough, left fescue, right fescue, left. Fe- you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, you're thinking, am I in like a ninety shooter? What's going on here? I can't even get it back and play it so tight because some of these fairways are twelve yards wide and they're firm, and now you're hacking out of this uh, gorge slash fescue or whatever and it was just like that's why looking back if i had to go back and play it and then again i would do just like john did and i would hit driver everywhere because you're probably not going to hit the fairways anyhow right right my, i mean just you when you got there that, that was it. his yeah that's what his that's what his game plan was and you know it worked and if he wouldn't have messed it up at the end it would definitely work but yeah because you're not going to you're probably not going to hit you know we're trying to hit two irons and four irons out there and now you're hitting them in the rough now you're now you're way back there. So I would have played it different. When I played it, it was definitely yeah. playable. And then they had the, the Heather for like, you know, the very dry and playable, right? You could really advance yeah. it basically up to the green. They, they want us mere mortals to be able to kind of move forward and not kill you. But sure. it, it was tough, yeah. but it wasn't, you know, what am I trying to say? Shit show. Pop. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Right. I mean, good shots were rewarded, but there was room. I remember my practice round. I was sitting out in the 18th fairway waiting for the green to clear, and Curtis Strange came up to me, and I didn't know him. He was a commentator. He's like, hey, Con, how's it going? I said, man, I've been around here twice. I said, I have no clue what's going on. I go, I have no feel for it. I go, I don't know. I just don't have a picture of how I'm going to play this place at all. He looked at right at me. He says, listen, he goes, the first time I ever came over here, I hated it. I hated the golf and all that. He says, second of all, he goes, this is the worst setup in major championship history. So don't let it upset you. He goes, this is a shit show. It's going to be bloodbath all week. He goes, just try to have as much fun as you can. It was really nice of him to say that because he could tell I was like standing in the fairway like, holy shit, I've been around here twice and I don't have any clue how I'm going to play this place. Yeah. No, and especially a guy who <laughs> yeah. had a hot temper at times, right, for him to just say, hey, right. stay, stay calm. You know, it, no. it, if you're either on that week, it's going to be okay. And if you're off, let it go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he just said, he goes, it's the worst setup you're ever going to see. Because it was my first major. I go, this is my first major. I go, these are out there all like this. <laughs> no, thanks. I might need to look into a new profession because I have no picture. I can't see how I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so he was great. He's like, ah, it's shitty. It's terrible. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I kind of agree with that concept of just bang. It's sort of like what Bryson did at the U.S. Open, right? Where it's like, okay, these things are yeah. relatively narrow enough anyway. You know, F it. Right. I'm just going to bomb it down there. And, gu- and if I'm on that week, fine. And if not, I'll just gouge yeah. it around the green and see what happens. I mean, it's not a bad yeah. theory to no. go with. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, too. You know, in the 90s on that European tour, you had, I just call them icons, right? Like the Sevies, the Faldos. I'll, yeah. I'll put, you know, Woozy was still out there a little bit. Torrent. I love yep. Sam Torrance, right? It's such a great commentary. Yeah. You, all of these, let's just call them Hall of Fame legend guys. Did you yeah, ever yeah. get to know any of those guys? And was was there, you know, one or two that, you know, you got to be friendly with and kind of looking back, like, how cool is that, that you got to spend time with that legend of golf, per se? Well, out of those guys, the most time I spent with anybody would have been Seve. It might, see, my second tournament I played over there, I was paired with them in the third round in Portugal. 
Yeah, I couldn't sleep all night because I'd heard he, he doesn't like Americans. And I'm like, man, being a kid from Detroit, I'm like, if he doesn't, if he, if he starts treating me funny, I'm not going to put up. I just wouldn't put up with it. It's just who I am. You know, I don't care who he is. So I was all psyched out and couldn't sleep. And before I know it, we're going down the 10th hole. He's got his arm around me. Tell me, wish you could drive the ball like me. <laughs> wow. And I'm thinking, well, this went a lot different than I thought it was going to go. <laughs> You know, because I was so psyched out. I finally, as I'm walking to the tee, I go, all right, I'm just going to shake his hand and reduce myself. And then I'm going to tell him, good shot. That's it. I'm not going to engage in anything. I'm going to just do my thing. So I was all ready to go. And then, like I said, next thing I know, it was either fifth hole or tenth hole. He's got his arm around me. (laughs) And then we played again the next day. We shot the same score. And we became friendly. And uh, I asked him if I could spent some time with him, like maybe in a practice round. And then the next week he said, no, I'll see you at nine o'clock. And then I played a couple practice rounds with him for a few weeks. And then he was just fantastic to watch around the green. I had some questions at the time. Uh, I, I was starting to flirt. I grew up using a, like a 55 degree wedge everywhere around the greens. And I was really, really good at it. And then somewhere along the line, I started flirting with using more clubs around the green. And it was just something I didn't grow up with. And I was telling them, I go, man, my stroke game's starting to, like, I could feel it going, which is pretty concerning. And I told him what I was doing. He says, what, how'd you grow up? And I told him, I said, well, I used a 55-degree wedge everywhere. And he said, well, that's what you should use. He says, because when you walk up to each shot, he says, your mind immediately can see the spot where you got to land it because that's all you've done your whole life. Yeah. He goes, now you're, now you're making club, he goes, you're making club selections around the green. And it's something you never did. He said, me, I use everything. But that's how I grew up. He said, but Lanny Watkins beat me in the Ryder Cup when you're at PJ National with a 60-degree wedge off the fringes, chipping them in. He goes, there's no right or wrong way. Whatever you do well. It was great advice. My shirt game came back immediately. I got rid of all that other, let's try 8-iron here and 9-iron. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just hit the little 55 and and make it happen and create the shots with that. Yeah, and my shirt game came back. and I've never looked back, but... Those days with him on the course, just watching, <clears throat> I didn't ask him a lot of questions. I just kind of watched him. I'm kind of a visual learner anyways, but uh, we had, we had a good time. I really, I really enjoyed him. And he, for everything I heard about how bad a guy he was, he treated me great. Was his, was his short game and technique, was it that good? Like when you watched it, was it that, is it as good as you've ever yeah. seen him? Just natural ability to oh, create yeah. a shot and hit the ball to the hole? It was it was just art, really. I mean, like I said, he, he, I didn't even want to ask him a lot just because I was, I didn't even know how much he could explain of it. He just did it. You know what I mean? Like, there were one time he was in this front bunker and the pin was about six, five paces on, on the front. And he said, Hey, I want you to go up. Cause he watched me hit some and I was cutting across him too much. I had a lot of left to right side spin on him. And he said, Go up about halfway. Just step to the side, and he goes, watch this ball when it comes by you. So, and this ball would come out of the bunker. It would take a little check, and then it would roll like it was a putt. You couldn't, like, you wouldn't have known he was in that bunker. It would roll by like it was a putt, like end over end. There was no side spin on it. And that was amazing to me. So then he goes, now come back here, stand behind me. And so then I, I watched his path. He was so much more shallow than I was. And so that's how he could get that ball to come out kind of low, flat, one one hop, no side spin, you know, and then it would just release out like a putt. So that that really helped my short game a lot going forward the rest of my career. Is just 
there are times to be steep and there's times to be shallow, but he could, he could really do some stuff. But the second time I played with him, I got him two days in a row again. And we were in Belgium for the Bel- Belgium Open and he hit some shots. This was, he was really at the end now, but he hit some shots around the greens where I thought he was dead. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, that like the one guy I was playing with Gary Evans was at third. He goes, Nobody else out here could do that. I'm like, exactly. So, it, yeah, it was it was fun. And then I I got to know Sam more in the bar area, Torrance. He was kind of he was he was always in the bar. So if I was in the bar, Sam was in the bar, and he was just I mean, Sam was just he was he'd light up every room. He was hilarious. I've I've heard like so who's has maybe had Jesper on and was asking. I'm like so if like let's say Sam's top five on Friday, going to Saturday's round. He's is he still at the bar? Jesper? He's like a thousand percent. Like he might oh, not yeah. go out that hard that night, but he is still like right. he's still sticking to his routine. No oh, exercising, yeah. Yeah. cigarette going right, a couple of pints right, oh, hanging yeah. out with the boys. Like he's like he's one of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet. Like every I love Sam Torrance. I've never met him, but I would like, was, I would love to have a round of golf yeah, you and would beer like, with him. Right? Like he was just funny. I mean, he. I remember one time I was playing with him at the British Masters at Woburn, and there was a lot of people. And uh, the cell phone went off, and it was like the third one in two holes, you know. And uh, he turns around, and he looks at this guy, and he goes, hey, why don't you do me a favor? He goes, why don't you shut that thing? Or what did he say? He said, yeah, put it on silent. Or I think he said, put it on vibrate and shove it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, he just said that. And then the whole crowd just thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I looked at my cat. He goes, if I would have said that, like, I'm getting suspended. Right. I'm getting fine. I'm getting everything, but he just said it so matter of factly. Everybody, even the guys, like ah, it was just funny. Sam's funny, you know. <laughs> so sorry, um, this is probably a PG podcast. No, no, you can swear. I don't care. Like, no, not at all. But like, um, and then he must have just had like a aura about him too, a little bit, right? All those guys did the Torrances, the Sevies, oh, yeah. that yeah, right. Yeah. Like they just. I mean, and then in Faldo, you know, I was over there five years. I don't think Nick ever said one word to me. You know, I mean, you'd walk by him, he just mumbled. He never even really said, "Hey, how are you?" Nothing like that. You know, whereas you walk by Tiger, he'd, he'd say, "Hey, Tom, how are you?" Yeah, he would never do that. But Nick was just so—he was like almost like he was shy, almost. You know, or he just—he never really had much to say to you, which it didn't bother me. I just never really knew him. Didn't know Monty that well when I was over there. I know him better now on the Champions Tour. How, how good is he now on the Champions Tour? He looks like he's mellowed out just a shit ton. Like, I love Monty now. Right? <laughs> it looks like he would just be, like, he, he, like it looks like he still can get slightly annoyed, but it ain't the level that it used to be. But then off the golf course, he looks like he would also be a blast just to go have a, a, a drink with or, you know, sit in the car yeah, with him as he's, he's traveling great. all over the world or United States as he's driving everywhere. He always has these goofy pictures he's of him in a cowboy yeah. hat and Texas. It yeah. looks like he has a blast now. It's not doesn't take it so damn serious at this point, right? He kind of poked fun of himself a little bit, and it's like yeah, Monty Light. No, he, he's, he's great off the golf course. He's so engaging. He's got a great sense of humor. He's still pretty tight out there. I mean, like, we all laugh at him all the time because he's moving people around, and, you know, he'll go down to a tent. Hey, you guys got to keep it down down here. I mean, he's real fidgety. He gets madder in hell still. He tries like heck, but I don't think he stays mad as he used to as long, but He's still, he's still pretty prickly out there. But, you know, the fans at this level, 
this age, they kind of just get kicked out of them more. Well, exactly. More right. than, yeah, I would laugh at them. They don't, they don't, they're not upset. vindictive. Yeah. Right. Right. They're not vindictive. It's not like it was in the days when he was trying to win you something. Right. You know, throwing all his toys out of the crib. And those people just, they thrive on that. Right. Now they, they kind of just watch him now and giggle, you know. <laughs> He still hit pretty it pretty funny. good. He still hit it pretty good. Is it still Great. the numbers every time? Like, is it still fantastic? Yes, yes. One of the best strikers we have out there drives that thing right down the middle every time. That golf swing He's really a hell has. Of a player. It has held up, right? It's a little unorthodox, but my God, has he hit it good for 30, 35 oh. years with that golf swing? If he could putt like Bernard, he would be winning as much as him. I mean, he really does hit it good. I mean, he just—it's so effortless, and you know, I think last year I played with him and Furyk out at the Boeing in Seattle on Saturday's round. Me and Jim are hitting hybrids into these tight areas, laying up off the tee, and he's grabbing that driver every hole, and he just swings it a little bit slower, and he's hitting that driver and feeding it down into these areas. And I'm just like, gosh, he drives that thing good. You know, he didn't even think about it. You know, we're over grabbing the hybrid. He, he's got the head cover off. He hits driver everywhere. Just fits it in there. Yeah, it's that little baby cut, right? And there's just confidence yep. in what he's doing. Like, that swing has not changed much in – forever right it still pretty much looks yeah. the same yeah, there, yeah there's a guy like on the champions tour has done him well i think the american public really likes monty now like i said if he gets a little upset they all go ah that's kind of funny monty's supposed to get upset it almost comes with the horse and pony show anymore right like exactly yeah. exactly he like i said i never really knew him that well he was really rolling miles over there i think he won five or six order of merits uh but i've gotten to know him a little bit better over here he's like i said He's real pleasant off the golf course. He's still very much a hard competitor on it, but he's not a problem in any, any way, shape, or form. But uh, he tries. He, he, he still, these guys, even at their age, they're out there like, man, they're trying like heck to win. <laughs> well, absolutely, right? I mean, you're, you're guy, you guys play at a level where there's no way you can get the competition out of you, right? Like, so there's no way, like, yeah. you guys aren't going to compete as hard as you guys can. There's just no way. It's in your guys' DNA at that level, and you've, as long well, as you've done it. Most of those guys are doing out there. There's no way they – most of these guys are financially stable to the roof. You know, I mean, they got plenty of money, but they're still out there. They just – like I said, even winning, it's not about the money for them. That, that money ain't going to change their life at all, but they want – they just like to compete and play, and they want to win. You know, Ernie's it. the same way. I'm, I'm really good friends with Ernie flown back from a couple times this year a few of us have and you know he's had a shot at one tournament and he got on that plane he's so upset and that's never seen him so mad i'm like man the fire still burns you know <laughs> yeah well i think that's for all of so, you guys you never get to that level oh, yeah. of playing at the top of your profession without having an internal engine that is different yeah. and wound than most people it, it of the of the level of work and self-belief it takes just just to yeah. play one season on the PJ tour let, let alone as many fences yeah. you played in like it's hard and you have to have i think you have to call it that fifth or sixth gear call it sixth gear you have to have that and without that you don't make it to the level you guys have made it at no way yeah me and McCarron were talking about that scott just a few weeks back you know what what makes us different people that made it played the tour and all that and like he made a good point that's kind of what you just said he was he's like it's just an unwavering self to self-belief you know that's why we ended up getting there 
you know, he goes, it's just, it's just a self-belief. It's, it's just something deeper that you can't see. He goes, you don't, you don't see it. You don't visu- visually see it. It's, it's inside. And I, the more I thought about it, you know, he's, I, I think he's kind of right. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's a, there, that has to be there. Or there's a common thread of all the, the people I've interviewed and stuff like that. And guys I've gotten to know, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time with, with TA3 and I can still see that. Yeah. I mean, the self-belief, right? Oh, yeah. And, I've asked him, like, you know, how did you play that well in your 40s on the PGA Tour? Like, you had a card still at 50, and it's just like yeah. the, the self-belief and hard work, period, and talent. But, like, that, yeah, you know, no, he never right. not believed he could compete with the best in the world, even at 50 years old, and he proved it. Like, I was on the tour yeah. 28 years or something crazy like that. They kept his card. Like, yeah, well, you stay out there that long, <laughs> you know, like – we played last Friday, a week ago Friday, me and Gene Sowers played uh, Donald Trump. And, and he's saying to Gene, he goes, man, this guy's a good player. Well, yeah. <laughs> and Gene's looking at me, and, and I looked at Gene, and I go, man, I didn't realize I was a good player. <laughs> President Trump thinks I'm a good player. Well, he only I played said, about, what, five years on the tour, yes. five years on the European tour. Yeah. I go, I guess I wasn't that good. You know, we're just laughing about it. It's like, yes. hey, you don't get out there and stay out there for any period of time and not be any good. Well, gosh, Gene played at the highest level for, what, 20 years plus? Yeah. Between both tours? Had to be, right? He's got to be close to 500 PGA Tour starts or something crazy like Probably. that. Probably. He, he, he had some illnesses along the way, but, I mean, he's, he's 60 years old now. And, you know, we play a lot down here, me, him, and Ernie Els, because we all live in the same area. And Ernie really didn't know him that well. And, I remember Ernie goes, man, this guy's good. I go, yeah, I said, for 60 years old, he just, he hits that thing so straight. And you can see why he won the U.S. Senior Open. Yeah. I told President Trump, I said, he goes, man, Gene's got a good swing, doesn't he? I said, sir, I go, the only time Gene leaves the fairways to go take a piss. <laughs> he loved that. Yeah. He laughing. He goes, that's about it. I go, you don't miss many fairways, sir. Oh, gosh, that's so. How, how did Tra- but, President uh, Trump play? How's his golf game, would you assess He's it? a pretty good player. You know, he was pretty wore out because the day before he walked and played that prime at Doral with Kepka, I believe. Yeah. And so he he said he he walked that whole day in the heat, and he's eighty, you know. Right. And so he said he goes, I'm I'm beat up, I'm pretty stiff, but he has a lot of good shots. I mean, he's he's probably a, a ten. Yeah. You know, in his late seventies. Yep. He doesn't really. Everybody gives him a hard time about cheating. I didn't see any cheating. I, I what I see is a guy that's out there for recreation. And he's not going to – we weren't even playing for any money. Right. He's out there to have fun. He's not going to play it out of a three-inch buried lie in the Bermuda. He's just not going to do it. He's like, why Why do I come out here just to, to suffer and be frustrated? So I didn't really see – you know, I didn't see that like people say. I, I see him just – like even on the first hole, I had an awful lie up inside the, near this fairway bunker. I couldn't get my footing. He's like, hey, you ain't getting hurt out here with me. So – move your ball. Right. And I'm like, all right, you know, <laughs> so I moved it and knocked it on the green, but there's no way I would have got it on the green. But, and I didn't, even, I probably wouldn't have hit it either. If I was with my son or whatever, I'm like, I ain't hitting this. <laughs> is, is so he, that's what I saw. But it, is he fun to play with? with? Oh, he's great. It's he, fun. He plays fast. He, yeah. He, he plays fast. He's very engaging. Like he was very interested in where I was from, how I got here. Like, you know, some people ask you a question. They really don't care to hear the answer. They're just saying it to say it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he asks you a question. He looks you right in the eye and let, he won't interrupt you until you're done. 
which I, I was amazed by that because I thought he would, I didn't think there'd be any one-on-one conversation much, you know, and he, he was truly interested in how I got here, where I was from and how I started the game. Yeah. I, he was, he was a gentleman to everybody he ran across, you know, so it was a cool experience. I got beat up on Twitter pretty bad by it, but I'm like, geez, if Barack Obama asked me to play golf with him, I'd play golf with him. Bill Clinton, I mean, course, you get a chance yeah. to go play with a former president, you go play. I don't care what your party affiliation no, is. Who so cares? people were mad that you played with a because it's uh, Trump? That yeah, makes no they, sense. They just, one guy, he was from my home club in Michigan. He goes, I used to pull for you being a member at Indywood, but you know, I guess I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, he was the only guy I responded to. I said, I don't give a shit if you pull for me or not. Well, it's a former president. <laughs> you know, like I you said, if a former president. Yes, right? Like if, if uh, any former president, if you had an opportunity to play with President yeah. Obama, like how great would that experience be, right? It's a former well, president. You're stupid if you don't go. Yes. Yeah. That's I like mean, the smallest fraternity in the world. Like, I, I, you know, right. how would yeah. you not take yeah. the time to – you know, to do that a thousand percent. Yeah. What an honor. Yeah. I didn't talk a whole lot of politics to him. You know, I think I asked him one question about the girl running down in Arizona, that Carrie Lake. Yeah. If he liked her, he's like, yeah, I endorsed her. I like her. And that was it. We pretty much stayed into sports and stuff. And didn't really go into the politics. I didn't care to talk about that at all. Anyhow, I just kind of oh, wanted on. to president for the day yeah how cool no, like played, I said, yeah yeah you, you could in, any any one of them i uh you know I, I was working in a golf component company uh in the in the 90s and took a call from president ford for us to build him a golf club i was like this is the coolest <laughs> experience ever right just as you know i got the boss and said you know sure. I'm, I'm not joking it's it's president ford and we built him like a seven wood <laughs> and sent out to palm springs but like you don't care what president it is like i got to talk to a former president of the United States, you know, he was an absolute gentleman and great. And yeah. that's one of my coolest experiences I've ever had in my life, you know, to be able to sure. say, well, yeah. I had 35 seconds or a minute with a, with a president. Like how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. That's, I don't care what party it, it is. It was funny when I, when I sent the tweet, I did it's not like I, I just said, Hey, I got to play had a fun day. I got to play with number 45 today. I said, I think I said he was a gentleman to everybody he came in contact with. It was a fun day. That's all I said. Sure. And yeah, I got beat up on there. I didn't care. It doesn't bother no, me. My wife no. was getting upset. But I'm like, honey, you can't advise these people. They just, they don't like the guy. It's, just, it's fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the day I have. So. No. And like you said, you would take any of them. It wouldn't matter. It's still, I, yeah. still, like still the said, president. If yeah. If he would have, if I would have got an in with him 10 years ago to play with him, I would have played with him. Yes. <laughs> thousand percent. Yeah. Well, I got yeah. one final question for you. Um, I know you've thought about running to be the mayor of Wichita, Kansas, but I don't know if that's going to be a good idea. So you've got one of the best golf stories ever I've heard of, let's just call it shit show in Wichita. So we got to end with this one of uh, why why you're not going to be nominated to be the mayor of Wichita anytime soon. It's it's safe to say from this story, but this one's a classic. Well, the good thing about that Wichita thing is it ended really well uh, because it didn't start out so well. And it, it's kind of a, it's a long story, but you know, and I, I'd never been to Wichita and I don't even remember what year it was, probably 14 or 15, somewhere in there. But I showed up to play a corn fair event and immediately I was like caught off guard because the locker room was right connected to the, to like the parking lot or like two feet away from, so somebody could step in there and grab something, be back in the car and be gone. 
and there was no security guard there. That was the first thing I saw. I'm like, man, this, that's a little dangerous, you know? And then in the end, uh, Manny Viegas, Camillo's brother, got his wood stolen Friday. And did I told you, really? you better get, yeah, I said, you better get a security <laughs> guard right there because people, can, there's no gated community here. I mean, people just drive in, they drive in, they walk in that locker room, boom, because the guys leave their bags. In. Right, right. Well, that, that put me off a little bit. And so I played a couple of programs with some members. They were great, nice guys. And then uh, the day of the tournament, I'm gluten free. So I kind of need the gluten free option to eat before the round. So I show up at the course and they got a pasta bar going. And I'm like, so I went up to the ladies that were working the player dining. I said, is there any way I could get something? Now this is all we have. And I'm like, shoot. So I, I go into the clubhouse and I'm like, well, I could probably order here. And I'll just pay, you know, I'll get something. So they wouldn't let me order there. So now I got, now I'm set off. I'm, I'm like, great. Now we're going to just go out for our afternoon first round with no food in us, you know. So I get down to the chipping green. There's this lady inside the rope. She's chipping. And she's taking, she's sculling them across the green, you know, and almost taking guys out on the other side. And I'm like, what the heck's going on here? What's this lady doing out here? And so uh, next thing you know, I think it's the club pro comes out. He says, Mr. So-and-so, you know, you know, you can't be out here. You got the whole other end of the range. You got the whole other golf course, this and that. So she's, she kind of got nasty with him. And I was like, wow. So then general manager comes out and she gets nasty with him. So I'm pissed off. So I, this is where I went wrong. I, I lumped all, I said, boy, these members here at Crestview have a high opinion of yourself. Well, that's where I was. That's where I first did the first big screw up there, you know, which I admitted. So I played really well. I was like up near the leader leading after two days. So Friday after I got done, the tour didn't want me to. Uh, well, anyhow, I sent that tweet out. And then on my first nine, which was 17, there was a part three in the first round. There was a big, big uh, grandstand there. I made this really long putt across the green, like 50 feet. And three guys up there go, tweet that and I, I looked at my caddy I go whoa I said that tweet I sent already got legs <laughs> I said this gonna get interesting now and I'm like oh shit you know so I told him I said this this thing's gonna get hot you know so anyhow the next day uh I got it, it got caught fire that day and the next day I played good Friday and I got down the tour didn't even want me to talk to the press because they were worried about, and I said hey no I said I'll talk to him I said, I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to tell them exactly what I meant and, you know, we'll clear the air. So I did. I told them, I said, I shouldn't have lumped everybody in. I played with some great members early in the week. You know, this lady just was really upset, whatever. So Saturday morning, I'm thinking now it's taking a life of its own. I'm getting destroyed on Twitter and all this stuff. So I, I called our, uh, I had a player liaison, Marty Cassie. I said, hey, Marty, uh, these people are pretty angry. Like, you might want to get me a police escort because if not, if something happens to me, you're going to be working for me probably. He goes, that's a good idea. <laughs> you're right. I've, I've been following it. I go, yeah, I probably ought to bring somebody with me. You know? So I get to the course. I'm walking out to the to the uh, putting green or chipping green. And the guy, the tournament director says, hey, there's a guy who wants to talk to you. It's, it's the lady's husband. He's one of our biggest donors for the event. He's the whole marshal on 17. 
And I'm like, oh, well, I'm looking over at him, and the guy's about 6'5", 350. And I'm like, holy oh, <laughs> shit. I said to the guy, I go, well, is he mad? I mean, because I really don't want to engage right. in this right now. And plus, it looks like he could stop me in the ground. He goes, no, he wants to apologize. And I'm like, uh, whatever. I said, all right. So I walk over there. The guy, he was so mad at his wife. You know, I can't believe he did that. You know, and I said, hey, I go, it's, uh, it's, a lot of it's my fault. I said, let's just, you know, don't worry about it. And don't be mad at your wife. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> so now I feel like I'm counseling him. Like, no, no, no. Because <laughs> he was really upset. He goes, I'm going to do everything I can on 17, keep him quiet today. But I just don't, I said, don't worry about him on 17. I said, I made my bed and I'll lay in it. I said, it's just fine. It's just golf. They're going to scream. They're going to yell. It's going to be great. It's not going to be a bad day. It's going to be fun. So I get down there to 17. And when I walk on the tee, it's a part three, about 180 yards. It just kind of goes slightly uphill. And the grand, all the bleachers are back there. It's a big, it's a pretty good, good size. It's probably get three or 4,000 in there, you know. And as soon as I get on the tee, they start playing, have you heard about the lonesome loser from the Little River Band, which was just great. You know, I'm like, I'm just laughing, and, and uh, we'll wait for the green to clear. So I hit it up there about 20 feet, and I'm playing with a guy named Aaron Watkins. He's been there about 15 feet. So I, you know, as I'm putting, they're screaming. I mean, they're yelling at me. The worst stuff you could ever imagine. You know? So I I rolled up there about a foot from the hole, maybe 15 inches. And Aaron goes, yeah, you can tap it in. I said, no. I said, I'm not feeling too good about tapping in right now. My nerves are frayed. So he putts. Now I got to tap it in, and I'm standing over, it and I swear I'm going to miss it because I'm like, all I got to do is make this, and they don't get the best of me, you know? Right, right. So I'm standing there, and my hands are shaking like hell, and I'm, I'm like, I got to, I got to do something. I got to change things up. So I looked at him, and I raised my arms up, like, "Come on, is that all you got?" And then I tapped it in real quick. I never even saw it go in. And uh, so yeah, they then they followed me down to 18T, and they destroyed me all the way up to 18. <laughs> so I, I walked in the clubhouse. There's just some guy. He was from Michigan. I walked in the clubhouse. He goes, "Come here, Gila." And I'm, I'm all beat up, you know. I could walk him in. He goes, "Turn around." He goes, "Oh, you got a little ass left." <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I sat there, had a beer with him, and it, and it was, you know, I took it like a champ, waved to him on, and the next day they, were, by, by the time I finished the next day, they were like cheering for me. So it was all good in the end. It was, it was funny on the way to the course Saturday. My caddy said. Uh, he said, hey, he goes, I just heard on the radio that they're, like, giving people doubt free beers if they come out and book Tom Gillis on 17 at Crestwood Country Club today. He goes, they're really mad at us. I said, oh, they're mad. <laughs> they're really mad, I said. <laughs> so the whole thing was uh, it was funny because Colton Oost and DJ Bigman and a few other players, they even came out there and watched on 17 just because like they, we got to uh, we got to see this shit show. Oh, yeah, right. Colton yeah, especially has I mean, got the best sense of humor ever, right? He's going to have to watch this half-disaster Unfold. He was, he was put off by him. Like he was, I think he he sent a tweet out like that was despicable or something because it was pretty, it was pretty vulgar. They were pretty mad, but I get it, you know. Well, I think you handled I it well. You almost have to like rally. Well, you have to go along with it. Then, like you said, it's almost it's almost like rooting for Monty now. Like after all, like then they're rooting for you because yeah. you took it like a man, right? And then you you you, yeah. you showed him up a little bit. You had your fun with it. And now they're yeah. like, all right, all right, we actually like the guy. We'll we'll cheer for him on the best Sunday. Thing a you could do. Yeah, and the best thing you can do when you know you've missed up is just say, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't yeah. have done that. I shouldn't have lumped everybody in like that. It was the wrong thing to do, which it was, you know, and I admitted that immediately. And so, uh, but in the end, I, I went back, I think, another year, year, next year, the year after, 
they were great to me. It was there was no problem whatsoever. So, so you're not permanently banned from Wichita. That's good. No. Well, at one point <laughs> after that, the general manager, he's not there anymore. He called me up. He's like, hey, we want to name a drink after you. And, you know, for the whole fiasco, I go, well, that's pretty cool. He goes, what's your favorite drink? I go, well, I don't even really know. I said, but when you shoot your mouth off like that, it would have to be some sort of a tequila or vodka drink. Yeah. So I can't even remember some... what they called it. Yeah. yeah, it's not going to be so something light and a, fresh. Like it's going to have to have a bite yeah. to it, right? A thousand percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they had it on the menu for oh, a good year or so, and then they, uh, then I think that guy either got fired or went on somewhere else, and it's not. It was taken off the menu. It was pretty funny. Well, the good part is you got one hell of a story from it. Yeah, yeah. it was the first time I ever played golf where I felt like I was a real athlete playing an away game <laughs> with a bunch of people screaming at you. You know what I mean? It, it, it kind of. It was pretty invigorating, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I mean, it doesn't happen in golf very often, right? Maybe Ryder Cups or something, but you normally not on a right. Corn Ferry Tour event. Are they going to, you know, be pissed at them? So there's only been there's only been two police escorts ever on the Corn Ferry Tour. One was for John Daly in Knoxville, and one was for me in Wichita. So, so. <laughs> I always give John a hard time when I see him about that. I go, well, only two players ever get a police escort on the Corn Ferry Tour. Well, you got to be famous <laughs> for something. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks so much for this, and good luck at uh, the, you know Q School. I know that's a tough one out there, and um, you know we'll be watching the results and all that stuff. So, like, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Like, thanks for for taking the time. You are a great follow on Twitter. Like, it's it's fun stuff that you put out there. I'm always entertained by it. So, you know, everyone follow time well, on Twitter for I'm that. I'm not one. everybody's cup of tea, but <laughs> well, it's, it's 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 good. Like I said, it's a good follow, right? That's what I like about it. Yeah. I mean, if everyone was. Vanilla and the same, well, that would be kind of boring. So it was great having you on. I really appreciate it. Right. Well, thanks for having me, Jake.